The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. All are welcome. We're glad you found us. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. It's time for a different take on spirituality for the modern world. Welcome to Big Universe with Jim Lefter. Well, hello and welcome to Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. I'm Jim Lefter. I'll be your host for today, kind of a spiritual journeyman kind of guy and media producer. I run a, web- I run a website with online courses called youthrivehere.com. Joining me today as my wonderful co-host, as opposed to my unwonderful co-host, I don't know who that would be. My wonderful co-host is Spiritual Rebel Sarah Bowen. Sarah is the author of Spiritual Rebel, a positively addictive guide to finding deeper perspective and higher purpose. How are you doing today, Sarah? I'm good. I want to be your wonderful and your unwonderful co-host. I well, feel like there's some Tao in that. <laughs> I think that would be great. I mean, we are talking about yin and yang, right? We're talking about the balance of life, you know, and... Uh, you know, there are different sides to us. Why not? I can be a good host. I can be a bad host. That's certainly true. Oh, you're always a good host, Jim. Oh, you're very kind. We're starting off with a love fest today, listeners. It's a love fest. You're very kind. (laughs) And I must say, after that comment, you are very enlightened as well, I can tell. Crickets. Because because you made that comment. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you, Jim. (laughs) All right. So um, I do want to say that my son, I think, has gotten a sense of spirituality from playing Xbox. I just wanted to mention that because he's always saying, oh, God, get out of the, get out, move that. Oh, God. (laughs) So I want to say that I'm happy that he's gotten a sense of spirituality from Xbox. You know, I think that's funny because at one point I was trying to stop saying, oh, God, so much and all the other explicatives that I like to say. And one of my students suggested that I start saying Godzilla instead of God. And so anytime I hurt my foot or like we're playing the Xbox and I'm getting really excited, you hear me yelling, oh, Godzilla. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. I'm going to I'm going to suggest that to him. We'll we'll have to see how that plays out for him. But, you know, there is something interesting in, in language and, you know, that idea of using spiritual words in ways where we we've just had some sort of mishap or we're excited in kind of a non-positive way right yeah absolutely and you know you brought you sent me a book i I would really like to get uh terry short on the on the show uh the words we choose very interesting you know it's it's all about you know choosing wisely and choosing the words that are so important every day it is. And I think we grow up with some words and then we don't question them. And it's 30 years later and we're still using them. 
and then all of a sudden they mean something else or society has shifted or like I'm learning a lot with the books that I'm reading on anti-racism about where some of the phrases come from. Yes. Wow. I had no idea that meant that. You know, I think these digging into what's the history behind some of our, or as you know, I like to get on people about the not saying that you're a guinea pig, you know, and all the animal ones too. But maybe we can get all of our listeners to start saying Godzilla. I like that. I think that's good. Or at I, least your son. <laughs> yes. Well, I'll work on that. So are you ready for some dueling inspirational quotes? I am. You want to go first? I am, and I'm going to be totally self-referential today. I really am. I just have to put that out there. All right, so here's my quote. Because time itself is like a spiral, something special happens on your birthday each year. The same energy that God invested in you is present once again. It is our duty to be receptive to that force. I like that. Right? I got there's force in there and it's my birthday next week. So there you go. But that is Rabbi Simon Jacobson. Oh, wonderful. Well, happy birthday. Thank you. Well, I like that quote a lot. Very much so. I do too. I think the idea that he has is about looking at our birthdays, not as, you know, for us, but as a time of reflection for, are we doing what we want to be doing in the world? And if not, we can do a little adjustment. So I'm thinking this week about what I want to adjust. Are you ready for mine? I am. Great mystery. Teach me how to trust my heart, my mind, my intuition, my inner knowing, the senses of my body, the blessings of my spirit. Teach me to trust these things so that I may enter my sacred space and love beyond my fear and thus walk in balance with the passing of each glorious sun. Jim, I think you're meant to be clergy. That was beautiful. Aww. Where did you pick that up from? That was actually, uh, that's actually a Lakota prayer. Hmm. And um, that's from the words we choose by Terry Short. She, she had it in, in her book and I, I grabbed it from there. I thought it was beautiful. Well, I'm looking forward to today's show. We've got Rabbi, Rabbi Simon Jacobson on. He's the author of a best-selling book called Toward a Meaningful Life. He's also the founding dean of the Meaningful Life Center. And I'm, I think he's got some really interesting things to say about our times and, and how we can perhaps get along a little better. He's already refocused my birthday. I can't wait to see what comes up next. Awesome. Shall we get into the episode? Let's do it. Here's Martha Creek with a Unity Moment. The Four Agreements. Agreement One. Be impeccable with your word. Speak your word with integrity. Only you know what your integrity is. It's so common as I listen to people say, oh, so-and-so is out of integrity. Oh, look what they did. They're out of integrity. They're out of integrity. He's out of integrity. She's out of integrity. Well, I don't know a thing about anybody else's integrity. So my calling, my job, my path is to be in integrity with myself, to be in integrity with my higher power, and stay in my own lane, so to speak. So my invitation today is I'm impeccable with my word, and my invitation for you is to speak your words with integrity. Speak only 
what you mean. Now, this means standing guard, so to speak, at our mind. Standing guard, so to speak, at my mouth. Not saying anything that I don't mean. And oh, the allure to seek love, approval, and appreciation. To say what I may not mean. To say things that are seeking, that are wanting something from another human being. Speak only what you mean. Avoid using words to speak against yourself. Whoa. Yes, so no more self-hate, no more self-recrimination, no more masochism, no more I'm dumb, I'm stupid, I'm not enough, I'm not worthy, I'm a failure, I'm flawed, I'm worthless. Whoa. So no more speaking it, even if the thoughts arise. No more speaking any word against yourself. Sound like it's easy to practice this? Let me know. And on a similar note, no more gossip. Oh, oh my goodness. If we don't talk about people, what are we going to talk about? No more gossip. So a fasting from gossip. Maybe this is the perfect season for that. One thing I'm going to do less of or none of is to gossip about others. Oh, the potential. And finally, and be impeccable with our words, your words, my words. Use the power of the word for creation. Speak only what you want to create. Speak only, only words that go in the direction of what you want your life experience to be about. The four agreements, that's the first one. Love and blessings to and for you all. MarthaCreek.com to contact me. Funniest Thing Guy, Ed Biagioti, joins us with a new segment. Hello, everybody. My name is Edward Biagioti. I'm the co-host of Funniest Thing with Daryl and Ed on Unity Online Radio. It's a pleasure to be here with you today on Big Universe to talk about the idea of embracing all different perspectives and faiths, particularly in these what people call unpredictable or uncertain times. And truth of the matter is, Every time is unpredictable or uncertain when looked at in a certain light. The beauty of these principles, though, is that there is something that's always predictable. There's, there are these underlying principles that always hold true regardless of what's going on around us. That's why I love this new thought movement, unity, you know, different faiths that come from this new thought perspective on things because it's really about what Eric Butterworth calls treating the concern rather than the condition. So if some conditions around us are concerning us or people's beliefs or ideas or what someone else is doing is concerning us, rather than trying to change them, rather than trying to change the condition, we treat the concern within ourselves. We look within and 
wonder why are we so concerned with what someone else is doing when in fact it is our own thinking that and and what we do that really dictates our quality of life our satisfaction and our success and that's why it's so liberating and in the book celebrate yourself by eric butterworth which i love to read from he has a chapter called be a center of love and he says it so nicely here he says when the world around you is in turmoil you may be confused as to where you should stand when social issues become polarized and politicized, people may demand to know, are you for us for us, or against us? It is important to know that you need not become trapped in decisiveness. You can take a stand for unity. And further along in the reading, he says, a consciousness of transcendence is your spiritual responsibility. Become an arbiter of peace. Bless all persons and parties. Meditate on the idea that you are a channel for the expression of the infinite love of God. Feel a flowing forth of love going out in all directions to bless all persons everywhere. The world needs the radiation of your love. Then he says, as far as you are concerned, the great need is to change your consciousness, dissolve your prejudices, and heal your fears. The truth is for you. It is a practical process by which you can achieve an effective life and at the same time become an effective instrument of love and harmony. And that's all we all want. In fact, there's only one kind of love and it's unconditional love. And in order for us to live in harmony and be an example of this unconditional love, we must willingly send love to every person, place, or thing, even if it seems to be standing in our way, even if we're tempted to believe that it has power over us or it deserves condemnation. Our job is to be a channel for unconditional love. And there's no better way to live. I highly recommend it. I know you're already living it. Keep going. Once again, my name is Ed Biagiotti, co-host of Funniest Thing with Daryl and Ed on Unity Online Radio. And it has been great to be with you today on Big Universe. And now it's time for our interview. Rabbi Simon Jacobson is the author of the best-selling book, Towards a Meeting, Toward a Meaningful Life, that sold more than 400,000 copies to date, has been translated into 11 languages. He's also the founding dean of the Meaningful Life Center based in Brooklyn, New York. He shares emotional, psychological, and spiritual skills to help people live the most meaningful lives possible. His blueprint for modern-day life is based on 3,300 years of moral, spiritual, Kabbalistic, and historical wisdom. Learn more at MeaningfulLife.com. Hi, Rabbi Simon. How are you today? Great, great pleasure to be here with you. Thank you for having me. It's our pleasure. It's our pleasure. Well, we certainly are living in uh, interesting times, aren't we? <laughs> interesting, crazy, bizarre. There's a lot of different adjectives we can use for these times. Definitely unprecedented. <laughs> that is definitely true. Definitely true. Well, before we dive into some of your wisdom on, on what's going on currently, I want to hear about the Meaningful Life Center in Brooklyn. Uh, I, I may be mistaken, but I thought I read somewhere that the New York Times called it kind of a spiritual Starbucks. Is that true? Yeah, that's true. I love Even that. Though, yes, I'm based in Brooklyn, but the truth is it's really an international center because we do so much online, especially now. And uh, essentially, I grew up in a very traditional Hasidic Jewish home, but in a very non-dogmatic one, type of universal citizens my parents were like. And uh, my passion from my youngest age, being a teenager, was always bridging these two worlds. I like to call bridging the secular and the spiritual, and really looking to the universal messages that really binds us all together. Things of how to find love in life, 
how to have healthy relationships, how to deal with pain and anxiety. And uh, this is really, uh, what is it, 7.8 billion people on this planet? What is it at this point? I think it's even more than that, uh, 8.5 billion. I think we all share these common um, goals of living the most meaningful and the most uh, productive life possible. I, was, I, I always refer to Oliver Wendell Holmes' poem called The Voiceless, where he says a really sad line, a tragic line. He says, alas, to those that die with their songs still inside them. So I like to feel that my mission is to help people discover their voice and sing their unique song and uh, fulfill their calling in this world. So that's essentially the mission of the Meaningful Life Center, which is an outgrowth of my book, as you mentioned, Toward a Meaningful Life. And thank God, we've been very successful reaching and communicating with people of all backgrounds. I, I happen to be Jewish, but really Christians and Muslims and Buddhists and uh, those with no religion, no faith. Some people call me the mentor for atheists because they like my take on God. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's been very colorful and very exciting, and that's a work, a labor of love. Let's put it that way. Well, that's absolutely wonderful. It's great to hear. Now, um, in your in some of the information that was sent to me, um, you're part, you're a sage or mystic that goes from an unbroken line from goes back ninety generations. Tell me about that. Okay, my great teacher and rabbi, and the mystic was named. Uh, some people just call him the Rebbe, Rabbi Menachem Mendel Schneerson who passed away 26 years ago. So I worked for him directly. I worked closely in editing and writing the talks that he delivered. He himself was the son and son-in-law of a great sage and mystic before him and literally an unbroken chain all the way back to Moses at Sinai. So it's quite an honor to be part of a uh, continuum like that. But I also like to feel that every one of us, when we access wisdom, uh, we all become part of that unbroken chain. It isn't just ex an exclusive elite club, but it's a challenge. How do you maintain the integrity of uh, original spiritual ideas while also applying them to contemporary situations? That's always been the battle and the difficulty because sometimes you dilute them in the process of trying to make them relevant. Uh, so how do you maintain that balance is really the challenge. It's like a just like art or music or, for that matter, science and medicine, you need to continue and learn from those that preceded you and then learn to adapt it to new situations and new realities. That is the, the balance. And talking about adapting to new realities, we are in very interesting times, as we mentioned before. Things are feel like they're going crazy. Um, yeah. And one of the things that you're doing in your work is from, from what I understand is sort of helping people through this in a spiritual perspective and in, in a secular perspective. Uh, we tend to want to put things in black and white. And so our conversations seem to be either for or against, you know, you're either with me or against me. Um, it, it really feels that way right now. You emphasize that we can deal with each other on a more personal level get beyond the sort of hate and the acrimony. What are what are your thoughts on that right now? First of all, it really saddens me. It's tragic, actually, because as I mentioned before, we're all human beings on this uh, fragile planet. We all have a similar concerns. COVID-19 does not discriminate whether you're black or white or Asian or uh, religious or not religious. 
and it really crosses all lines. And it's sad to see that we cannot at least acknowledge some of the things that we have in common. And then we can say, okay, and here are things I disagree with you about. Um, so firstly, it saddens me. And uh, I, I think that unfortunately, you, you said it right, the black and white, the type of like painting people as cowboys and Indians or you know, Boston Red Sox versus the Yankees. I think a lot of us have become spoiled and have developed vicariously this type of foe versus, uh, you know, you're either my enemy or you're with me without the nuances of a gray area. You know, I have, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm the oldest of five siblings. I don't agree with everything my, my brothers and sisters say. We have actually fundamentally disagreements, but we love each other. And I cannot for the life of me understand how people have so many of us have got caught up with it. Now, I'll be honest, listen, you and I are speaking right now. I have no idea what your political opinions are. And frankly, it won't change anything about my conversation with you. Mm -hmm. So if you and I can do it, why can't more of us do it? I think people are allowing themselves to conform and to like get caught up in this type of uh, us versus them attitude. I understand disagreements. Look, I come from a people, the Jewish people have suffered greatly. We've had great enemies. A third of our nation was decimated during the Holocaust. So we have plenty of grievances. But at the same time, you have to have, be able to have conversations. And yes, there are people that sometimes you realize you can't have a conversation with. Fine, so you move on. And uh, I like to believe that we could all be part of the solution instead of being part of the problem. So there's a lot to say about how to create more civil conversation. But I think the first and most fundamental thing is, as, as the founders wrote it in the Declaration of Independence, all people are created equal. I use people instead of men, just uh, Yes. I appreciate yes. that. Yes. <laughs> but basically, all people are created equal. Now, I, I don't know if they meant men versus women, to be honest. I don't want to even get into that. But let's say all human beings are created equal. We all have an unalienable rights. And, and that's the bottom line, the sanctity of an individual soul. If we don't start with that axiom, with that premise, then I think we're uh, really uh, compromising and uh, undermining our own integrity, our own inherent value. And then, yes, we have different opinions. We may have very different extreme opinions. So that's my, just my gut reaction when you ask me that question. So, so what do we do, Rabbi, when we get emotional and, and we start to feel like we're having that, you know, that the heart starts racing and someone is saying something that I disagree with? You know, what, what's your uh, recommendation for what we do in that moment? A great question. I'll tell you what I do, and I recommend this to others, and I speak about it very publicly. If I get into a conversation like that, and I see uh, that it's going nowhere, then no matter what I say, no matter what other, that other person is just going to end up in an argument, a debate, um, even uh, using names, being offensive, dismissing the other, I deflect and I just say, you know what, um, uh, let's talk about something else. We'll talk about something we can discuss. If I find someone can't have a conversation like that, there's no reason to just pour fuel on it. I've often asked people who disagree with me or I disagree with them. I say, let me ask you something. We're both two intelligent people. Is it possible that you may hear something from me that would change your position? And of course they right away throw back to you. Would you do that? I say, let's, you know, let's open the conversation that we both possibly can change our position. But let's be honest. If you really feel you will never change your position or in any way modify it, so why are we having this conversation? You want to convince me? You want to preach to me? I don't want to preach to you. So I think the first thing is you have to always know you're in control of your conversations. You don't have to debate anyone. 
You don't have to argue with anyone. So my long, <laughs> I guess, history and experience, I, I identify quickly if somebody is really just trying to argue to argue or really wants to have a meaningful conversation. So once you determine that, I think you can proceed. If you find there's some opening or some type of compassion, some thing we share, then, then I think there is open. I think if each of us looks at ourselves that way and don't let us get caught up in a herd mentality approach that, you know, I'm, I hate Trump or I love Trump or whatever, I think that's the first thing that we have to control ourselves. I don't think we can control the dialogue of the many. You can only control your own attitude and approach. I find that with compassion and kindness, um, I just sometimes will be very just sweet and I won't even tell people my opinion, to be honest, because I don't need to just fight with people. There's no reason. I don't know if that works, but that's worked for me to some extent. <laughs> I know, know it sounds overly simplistic, but you, you know, know I, I think there's I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. You know, I had read in your materials. You know, when you're feeling triggered, you know, step back a little bit. And I think I think what happens sometimes we just double down, right? We just double exactly. down and start and going ego for comes it. Comes into play, yeah. Ego and pride, yeah, absolutely. Wonderful. Uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, sir. No, I was I saying. Then there's the just to use a simple word. that's called humility. A sign of intelligence is humility. The ability to be open to listen. I've heard opinions that are very different than mine, even sometimes offensive. But I've learned you listen and you learn about people and then you determine how you want to react. I think intelligent people need to exercise restraint and you have to always think of being productive. I always say to myself, will this conversation end with some positive action? And I always tell people, I've, I just had yesterday a conversation with someone who's, who was like was actually yelling at me they saw something I wrote, even though I, I really don't try to get involved in politics. But they didn't, you know, today, if you don't agree with me totally, it means you're against me, which is ridiculous. You know, I could agree with part of what you're saying. I don't have to agree with everything. It's not all or, but I was having this conversation. Then I just threw out this like uh, disarming line. I said, let me ask you something. You're a busy person. I'm a busy person. Um, uh, maybe we can come away with one positive action we both can agree on. And he was like taken aback because I completely diffused the argument. And he said, what are you suggesting? I said, maybe both of us share today, we'll send out five email communications or social media sharing a kind spiritual word with another. And he was like, he didn't even know what to say. He was like stunned. He says, okay, I mean, what's he gonna do, disagree? Right. <laughs> um, so I think sometimes you have to just, that's what you need to do. You, you just try to take it to some positive place. And it's very refreshing. I, I don't know what happened afterwards, but I'm sure it gave him some thought. And I hope the more of us that do that, the more, it's like toxic air. If you come into a room, it's very toxic. Either you're gonna breathe the toxins or you're gonna, sh or you're gonna add to it, or you bring in some fresh air and you try to somewhat um, mitigate, sometimes uh, you know, just loosen things up, you know, bring a smile to people's faces, a little pleasantness in this, uh, as you mentioned, acrimonious and such angry, um, angry attitudes that we see out there. Well, thank you so much, Rabbi. We'll be right back on Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. Thanks for joining us. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. 
Welcome back to a slightly off-kilter look at spirituality. This is Big Universe with Jim Lefter. Well, welcome back to Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. So, Rabbi, let me ask you this. Um, we're confronted with hate and anger some, by, by people. I mean, there are folks that, um, well, this is just my opinion, but don't value other human life at times. What do you do when you come across someone who's just filled with that kind of that kind of rage and i you know i'm a spiritual person i know that in their in their core they have a soul but what do you do when you when you encounter that on a on a basis there i think a good word to use is choose your battles you know time is valuable energy is valuable sometimes you just meet someone and i i never write anybody off but sometimes i feel this is just not my mission i'm not going to do achieve anything here if i see someone filled with rage and anger I have compassion. I try, maybe plant a seed, a word, but I definitely am not going to engage in battle because mm-hmm. that just uh, that's exactly what uh, that feeds into the worst. So I sometimes say to myself, you know, when I was younger, I maybe was a little more naive. I would argue more. Now I just uh, say to myself, let me say, share something nice and kind, and not engage in this, and let's try to find the time to have conversations that can end up with something meaningful. Uh, that's one point. The second thing is I want to quote a line that I use often that uh, goes back. It's a very, both a mystical, but a, a very uh, simple psychological truth. And that is a little light dispels a lot of darkness. Hmm, you can yeah. have a very dark room. And you bring in one little candle, it automatically illuminates the room. Mm-hmm. Obviously, if it's a very large room, you need more than a candle, you need more. But it's not like fire and water where they are equal, equal advers, adver, adversaries. And enough fire can evaporate large bodies of water. Enough water can, um, can extinguish great fires. When it comes to light and darkness, light automatically has a uh, precedence and power. So what I try to do, as I mentioned earlier, I try to share something kind, something nice, even with someone very angry, just bring a little light. I don't always see the results. You don't always see the results and the fruits of your labor. But light has an effect, and I'll just cite a little physics, basic physics, what they call the butterfly effect. Light, that you, you ignite a little flame right here, at some point it can have a ripple effect and affect the entire universe. I'm a big believer in that. You know, one subatomic particle can change the course of history. So actions breed actions, and I think good energy ultimately brings goodness into this world. If it impacts that individual or not immediately, Yes, they have a beautiful soul, but it may be so trapped in layers and layers and crusts of armor and defenses. And who knows, maybe a lot of people can't judge people. Who knows what people go through? I find a lot of anger comes from repressed feelings of uh, hurt and trauma that go back perhaps years to their childhood. So I'm not, I'm not going to go deal with one conversation, heal a person. So I tried to bring that light in. And I absolutely believe that joy and goodness and happiness will ultimately um, overpower darkness. And uh, sometimes you see it quickly and sometimes it takes time. And you just have to go, it's a process. It takes time for things to emerge. You know, you, you water a garden, the flowers don't grow overnight. You can't pull them out of the ground. You water the garden and ultimately the nurturing causes beautiful flowers to grow. I have seen very angry people in my life when treated, uh, health, uh, treated respectfully have, I can't say became completely, uh, no, not angry anymore, but it helps soften things up. 
try to access that more tender place that every person has somewhere in their heart and soul. But I'm not naive. I know there are people that are actually quite cruel and hurtful and abusive predators. So we have to take it all into account. But uh, you try to focus on what is possible, not what is right now the reality. What can, how you can improve the situation. I think something that struck me in there as well is the idea of practicing humility, not humiliation that you speak about. And, yeah. and I've been noticing a lot on social media that there seems to be a trend towards the other side of that, towards humiliating people through memes or through messages or um, in ways that honestly just kind of hurt me in the heart a little bit when I read them. Um, can you talk a little bit more? I know you touched on humility before the break, but the other side of that about avoiding humiliation. It's one of the greatest crimes that a human being can perpetrate in another by humiliating them or demoralizing them. You know, it's one thing uh, where people hurt each other, but when you start uh, tampering with, and I would even say violating someone's dignity, and I begin even in our childhood when parents in some ways invalidate or uh, hurt their children, innocent, defenseless children, they have violated their dignity. And the dignity of a human life, if you cannot respect someone else's life, uh, how much are you respecting your own life? I don't know if you remember back when, when was it in, in Colorado, that school where a bunch of students went and shot up and they killed their own friends and colleagues. It was, um, what was this? Columbine, I think. Columbine. Columbine, right, there you go. I remember that. And I was like really taken by it because I was thinking to myself, these kids that came armed and killed their own friends, their own classmates. I mean, were they mentally disturbed? Were they on drugs? And I discovered, no, they were just bored. And they were, uh, and I, I became, it became an obsession of mine to some extent. They did not respect life. When you watch violence, you see video games, we see it on TV and movies. At some point, life becomes uh, somewhat negligible. And I think that's a fundamental problem in society in general today, where many people do not see life as sacred. When I say sacred, I'm not trying to invoke any religious statements here. I just mean that there's some things, as I mentioned, unalienable, that are absolutely divinely endowed gifts, the gift of life itself. And once you challenge someone else's sanctity and dignity of their life by humiliating them, in a way you're humiliating yourself because you're all, all part of one organism. And uh, invalidating one is invalidating another. I think it goes back to education issues. So, so my two points I'd make is that it's one of the worst crimes. It's even worse than in many ways, it's killing somebody. The Talmudic statement is that when you insult someone, especially in public, you actually are killing them. Not physically, but emotionally. You're dismissing them. You, uh, emit, I mean, what does bullying do to people? Mm -hmm. So I, it's just, a, I think it's one of the worst possible things. Parents, educators, all of us, need to know, do, never, never humiliate a human being. That's just not acceptable, period. You can completely disagree with them, but you don't have to humiliate them. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I think it goes to the core of how we see each other. I would never humiliate someone because to me, it's like betraying life itself, betraying my own life, betraying our destiny, betraying everything that we stand for. Then, you know what? You disagree with someone, so fine. Try to inspire them, try to educate them. Or if you can't, you move on. Find yourself someone else to speak to. But I don't know. I have no words to describe. It is the most. I remember as a kid, and, and I, I'm probably guilty myself. I remember my friends picking on someone who had a stutter 
or was somewhat uh, weaker or slower. And, uh, and I tried to, I, I, but it always broke my heart. I could not stand it. I couldn't even stand playing musical chairs, to be honest, because someone always was left out. You know, that feeling you feel yes, like you're- Yes, yes. Uh -huh. yeah. And I, I found crushing... it to be actually a, cr a cruel game. In a yeah. way. It's a crushing of the spirit. Yeah. It you know, really the, is. The yeah. Competition, on the other hand, healthy competition does bring out the best. So we have to find the proper healthy balance to, to challenge each other, but never humiliation is simply, I, I don't see any, no reason to humiliate someone. Even if a person is convicted of a crime, fine. They're convicted of a crime, there's law and order. You don't have to humiliate them in addition to, uh, to the punishment or to the deterrence that's necessary. I'm curious as we dive into some, some current issues, racism is something that's really come to the forefront right now. And the question, that I have is, you know, is it fundamental to us? Can we change um, as humans to this, uh, about this sort of thing? I mean. I, I absolutely think we can change. I'm not saying it's easy. There's an uphill battle, but let's just define racism for a moment. I mean, as from our conversation, it becomes quite apparent that you can have two perspectives on, on life, on human life, on, on each other. Do, do you see another person, let's call it through the lens of the soul or through the lens of the body? If you see people as material human beings and therefore the color of their skin or the country where they come from or their belief system or culture or persuasion becomes the dominant feature. But if you see people with the, through the lens of the soul, the soul doesn't have a color. It doesn't have a culture. Are there black souls and white souls? Are there Asian souls and Hispanic souls? These are, these are uh, labels that, yes, are nationalities, cultures, races, religions, so on. So I think it comes down to how we see each other. Um, one of the things I would say that, that would fundamentally change our country and the world is how we educate our children in this way. At the end of the day, no one's born a racist. And this is, of course, the role of parents and educators and clergy, um, because nobody is born a racist. There's no such thing as a born racist. You pick it up. You pick it up from your community, your parents, where either derogatory names are used or entire groups are dismissed. So it all begins somewhere. It begins because we're not looking at each, ourselves and at each other through the lens of the soul. If we simply taught our children from the youngest age, just imagine, every day they hear this message. You're a soul that was sent to this world. There are eight plus billion other souls. Some of them come from different countries, some from different colors, different belief systems, some very fundamentally different than you. But they're essentially a soul and a soul does not have a color and does not have a race. That would change the entire uh, picture. The problem is the adults, not the children. The adults are imposing and projecting their own stereotypes. We're, you know, dismissing an individual, you know, guilty by association, someone born as part of a group, and suddenly because someone, let's say, did a crime, that means the whole group is guilty. That type of attitude should be completely abhorrent and unacceptable. So, um, I mean, there's so much to be said about this, but uh, to be brief, it really comes down to a whole change of, of perspective and how we look at each other and how we look at ourselves and realize 
as I don't know who coined this line that we are not physical beings on a spiritual journey, we're spiritual beings on a physical journey. Mm-hmm. And when you see it that way, you actually can embrace the diversity and the harmony that can be created from diversity. You know, think of it like an orchestra. Not everyone's playing the same instrument and not everyone's playing at the same time. But the beauty of it is that everyone has their particular role. And yet when it's synergetic and it's uh, balanced, it creates this beautiful synchronicity and harmony and uh, beautiful music. I think teaching people that harmony within diversity, in addition to the first point that I made, which is that each person has essentially a soul that defies and transcends colors and race and culture and beliefs is the most key, key element. The problem we have, to be very honest, is we're already in the situation. We're not starting from scratch. We're already passing on all our stereotypes and attitudes. But I go back, the way to change things is you always have to change from with yourself. Change your attitude, and then slowly it starts impacting your sphere of influence. And that's how shifts are made. I don't know how this can be done from the top down, because probably the problem is at the top, very often. Politics or leaders who are using racial and other um, uh, stereotypes to advance their own power and goals. It's the best way to do so. You know, you create a base that believes a certain way, and that way you make the others the enemy. It's very good for success of your particular agenda. So how to change it from the top down, that's very difficult. That's hard for me to imagine. But from the bottom up, in your own home, grassroots, in your own community, I have no doubt that it can be done while uh, being realistic that we know you're not going to convince everybody because some people don't feel they're racist. Racists don't say I'm racist. They say it's a fact. That person happens to be inferior. <laughs> you know, what are you going to say? Well, let me ask you this. Um, I know... I mean, there's so much current current event wise we can dive into. Maybe we'll have a chance to do that. But I want to make sure that we give our audience some tools to work with. And some of the things that you mentioned are, you know, beware of media manipulation. Um, step back when you feel triggered. Can you talk about that a little bit? Absolutely, absolutely. You know, my uh, my father was a journalist, and he would often remind me, say, there are three types of people. People who make things happen, people who watch things happen, and people who ask what happened. It's, you, make, you need to make a, a, a deliberate and active decision in your life. Are you going to make things happen and be proactive, or are you going to be reactive and watch things happen or being told by others what to do? Unfortunately, many of us, maybe it's easy, it's lazy, it's uh, I like to be conformist. You know, I just go along with the, with the flow. The first step in life in general to have a happy, meaningful life is to take responsibility over your thought, speech, and action. So whenever you're in a situation, you may not be able to control an actual situation. No, none of us can control the pandemic, the events that happen around us, but you completely control how your attitude will be, how you navigate, like a good swimmer. You think a good swimmer is able to um, deal with a storm because he knows how to navigate. He or she knows how to. Sometimes you need to just let yourself not fight fight the tide. A bad swimmer will exhaust himself and can unfortunately uh, drown in the process. So you need to feel that you know you can navigate. So whatever situation you com- comes your way, whether it's a confrontational situation, whether it's a racial tensions, 
whether it's political issues like in this election season, or whatever comes your way, you need to feel responsible. You can't turn to someone else and say, what should I do? Obviously, it's good to have a mentor, friends, and others you can consult. But I think that, that that's the first step in all uh, growth is to be proactive and say, I am not going to participate in something I find to be offensive just because others are doing so. And once you feel that you can have that uh, courage, I guess, and, um, and, and, uh, and uh, a type of individuality, um, that, that begins the process of being able to really affect change instead of change affecting you. That's one thing, big thing I would put up there as number one, one of the number one items. So when you feel triggered, what's a good thing to do? What's the first step? Well, feel triggered is firstly step away from the line of fire. Just like you go into an emergency room, the first thing is you need to stop the bleeding. So if you feel triggered, I would not react. I would step back and say, let me take a walk. Let me have a conversation with someone I love. You can think if you feel you must respond. So then think it through. Don't respond impulsively because it usually doesn't come out right. And then think it through. And if you feel now after a day or a half a day, I do this very often. Sometimes I get a message from someone, I get angry. So I start typing up an email, ready to shoot it off. But I always stop. <laughs> yep. actually, yeah, but I always stop myself from sending it. And I can tell you 99% of the time when I look at it three hours later, I said, you know what? Maybe it's wiser not to send. But I wrote it. So find a way to vent that doesn't hurt or affect anything, anyone else. And you know what? If a day or two passes and you feel you need to respond, but now you're doing it in a more calmer state of mind, more composure, you'll respond in a more effective way instead of an impulsive way, which, you know, we've all been triggered. You know, someone insults you. The first reaction is you insult them back or you react or you, or even if you retreat, you feel hurt. So I think it's important to be able to just pause, press the pause button until there's a reaction. Now, obviously, if it's an emergency situation, you have to react quickly. After that, you know, fire is burning. You got to get out of the building. But beyond that, in most situations, it takes effort because triggers can sometimes be very powerful. Look, let's be honest. What is addiction? Addiction is triggers, and you can't control your behavior because it's become a habit or routine. It's your knee-jerk reaction, and very difficult to stop yourself. But if you look at anyone who's been in any healing or recovery, they'll tell you. That's where they have a supervisor. Call somebody, do something, deflect, uh, channel it elsewhere. It's, never, it's not going to be perfect. So don't beat yourself up if you react sometimes. But you try your best. That is the, my approach to that. There's a lot of anxiety in the world right now because of what's going on. Um, you know, how, uh, as an individual, how do I deal with that anxiety? I mean, what's a, what's an approach that can help me navigate these times? Great question. I'll just uh, say a few things. Anxiety is like a fire. The first thing is you don't want to keep fueling it. Um, I've told many people advice, which is sometimes difficult to do. I said, maybe shut off all your media streaming. Like, uh, because the media... And all, all the pundits out there tend to actually make us more anxious because they, whatever it may be, and I'm not even talking both sides of the aisle. So maybe it's important to shut off this, this stimulation that's coming and inundating us so you can at least just deal with what you have instead of feeding it. 
shut down. Maybe, maybe don't check your phone every five minutes. Find yourself a way to maybe meditate, take a walk, go out to nature. I find, even though all of us are somewhat addicted to our smartphones, I'm just pausing a moment because of the siren. Okay. Even though many of us are addicted to our smartphones, but it's very refreshing when you just, you can't get calls and no one can text you. So I think the first thing is to create space between you and events around you, because the events, as you said, are very ridden with all kinds of forces that cause anxiety. That's one. The second thing is we have to all have certain uh, go-to type of uh, actions or uh, routines that help us when we get anxious. So you have to find those things that help. Like some people go exercise, run, go to the spa. I don't know, COVID permitted, whatever we're able to do these days. Find something at home. Find something peaceful that counters anxiety. Very hard to fight, fight anxiety head on. I often tell people when you wake up in the morning, don't just jump into the day. Take a minute or two to meditate on your soul, on your life, on your purpose, on your mission. And before you go to sleep, don't fall asleep with a newspaper on your nose or with the TV on. Why don't you just read something, some poetry, listen to some calm music. You know, when we go into sleep and we wake up with some positive energy, it tends to somewhat lower the volume of anxious and anxiety. Now, obviously, anxiety is a broad spectrum. You're dealing with clinical anxiety, may need medical help, and so on. But I'm talking about the anxiety that you're referring to, the social anxiety of our times. It really comes down to you can't continue to expect to be in the middle of the, the, middle of the, the whirlpool and the merry-ground of life and suddenly feel non-anxious. You have to somewhat free yourself and separate and find things that bring that type of calm and uh, peace. I think that's where we get stuck sometimes is we, we wait for whatever it, we, we believe is creating the anxiety to go away rather than manage ourselves. Absolutely. Yeah. And we point fingers. If, if you did something differently, I wouldn't be so anxious. Or, um, which, of course, is not the way to go. You have to take control of your life. Um, as, you know, you, you're asking all the best questions about how to deal with your life. And I also believe in a very strong thing is, is having a friend, having a mentor, because they provide some fresh air, some objectivity. It's very hard when you yourself are trying to deal with your own challenges. There's an expression, someone that's in a pit can't pull themselves out of the pit. So it's good to have supportive and loving and caring friends that you trust. And also for this, around that, being on that subject, it's also important to make sure not to have toxic friends who feed your anxiety. You know, I know people who call me every time there's a problem. And, you know, I've learned to immunize myself, but they love to share bad news. There are people who love to share bad news, whatever the reason is. So it's important to know what enters. There's a very powerful statement that uh, one of the great mystics and sages writes. He says, there are only seven gateways that allow anything into your system. You have two eyes, you have two nostrils, you have two ears, and you have a mouth. You control those gates. You can decide, you know what, this is something I don't want to watch or I don't want to listen to or I don't want to smell or I don't want to speak to or, or, uh, or, or ingest. And you can control. You have gatekeepers. Become a gatekeeper and be deliberate about what you allow into your life. People like to say, I can't control. What do you mean? Of course you can control. If it's something you shouldn't be involved in, get yourself out of, this, out of it. So it's true. We, we, we have our 
a natural impulsive behavior, but you can become a gatekeeper over your own gates and uh, help clear the air and allow more refined and pure uh, thoughts and speech and actions enter your system and also what leaves your system and interacts with others. Well, we just have a minute left, a little bit over a minute. So I want to ask you a question that you need at least a half hour to answer. <laughs> oh, Jeb. <laughs> and, and you talk about, <laughs> and you talk about uh, connecting to people on deeper purpose as, a, as an important thing to do. What does purpose mean to you? Purpose means the calling of your life. I'll use myself as an example. As a teenager, I discovered I'm a good communicator. I'm passionate about the human condition. I'm a writer. Uh, so for me, purpose is using my God-given talents to make this world some way a better place. It's never about yourself. It's about what you do for others. And in turn, that makes you a far more fulfilled human being. And that I think every one of us has unique skills. Look, I commend you. You're using the, the airwaves to communicate hopefully beautiful, hopeful and, and um, constructive messages. You are fulfilling a certain purpose. There's no question in my mind. And I think anyone that's letting out such positive energy, illuminating, is it, it's a dark, hostile world, bring a little light into it, is fulfilling some purpose. But if you fit it in with your personal uh, skills and experiences, then it really becomes a very rich life. Rabbi Simon, it's been such a pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much for being on Big Universe. <laughs> Thank you. It's a good one. Big Universe. Big Universe. <laughs> and great success in all your work. It's been an honor and pleasure. Thank you so much. For more information about Rabbi Simon Jacobson, please go to MeaningfulLife.com. For more information about Sarah Bowen, go to spiritual-rebel.com. I've got premium video courses and I help create them on my website called youthrivehere.com. Hope you'll join us. Thanks everybody. We'll talk with you next time on Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. I have within me greater power than I have used, more life than I have lived, more strength than I've known. I have within me greater talent to express, more courage I can muster, more faith that I can show. Oh, I am ready. Turn it loose, turn it on. I'm gonna Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Hello, I'm Dr. Stephen Farber, and I'm an author, teacher, psychotherapist, and shamanic practitioner. On my podcast, Healing for Your Soul, I welcome some amazing guests and introduce you to some healing techniques like earth magic, working with nature and animals, and really getting to the heart of what is keeping you stuck. I want to help you deepen your spirituality and let go of blocks that are holding you back. Let me help you in this journey called life. Part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Subscribe and follow wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. <laughs>